tremendous to be amongst you again. Haven't seen most of you since last year, so it's good to see you. And uh, we're looking forward to a good time together this morning. Amen. I uh, I want to try and fit um, six months worth of series into two and a half hours. Okay, <laughs> so it was going to be a little bit longer, but someone took my time. But that's all right. Yeah, I heard about a pastor once who he was a teetotaler, never drank, not a thing, and his church was totally teetotaling. You know, they couldn't drink any alcohol, and he was in he was in a rural area, and he was trying to win this farmer friend of his who'd been trying to win him for the Lord for years and years and years. And he went to see him one day and as he sat there, the farmer said to him, listen, I'll make a deal with you. If you try my peach brandy that I made myself, then I'll come to church on Sunday. And he says, okay, what's the catch? He said, you have to tell the congregation that you tried my peach brandy. <laughs> so he's there in the dilemma, going, I really want to get this guy saved and so he says, okay, so he has this little sip of it and thinking the guy will never come to church. So he gets there on Sunday morning, looks up and there's the guy, there's the farmer sitting at the back, sitting there waiting for him to tell the congregation <laughs> that he had had peach brandy. So the pastor doesn't know what to do and all of a sudden he gets a brainwave. He says, I'd like to thank Farmer Brown for the wonderful peaches he gave me and the spirit in which he gave it. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a way around everything. <laughs> I think he went on and became Prime Minister of... No, no, no. <coughs> Not to worry. Whoops, throwing stuff away here. Thank you, sir. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 13. It's going to come up on the screen there, I believe. John chapter 13. And uh, we're going to read this as it is written, and I want to go right through the chapter, into chapter 14, and make a very quick point that I would like to share with you. Verse 36, the, the context of this is that Jesus has said that I'm going to go away, but you can't follow me. And, and there's this, there's this sense in which Jesus is going away. That's the background, that no one can follow him. And then he starts to make these statements. And he says in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered and said, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow before you have denied me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If I had known, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's, a, be, it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? How? Uh, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me, the words I speak? I do not speak my own by my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you that he that believes in me the works that I do will he do also, and greater works will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then down to verse 23. And he says, And Jesus answered to him, Anyone who loves me and keeps my word, my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. I want to share with you today a message I'm calling the Father's House. The context of this is the context of God, Jesus said, I am preparing a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. I want to talk to you about a place that has been prepared for you. In this context, there was no chapters, no verses, it just was a flowing conversation. And although people have taken that in my father's house and many mansions to mean heaven, the context has nothing to do with heaven. The context has to do with the father's house, the father's presence manifest on earth. To the Jewish mind, to the Jewish mind, that was the temple. The temple was where heaven and earth met. And so when he says, let not your heart be troubled, Believing, believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house, straight away, they thought the temple. In the temple, there are many mansions. Well, mansions is the worst translation you could ever find. It is the most horrible translation. It's given everybody this crazy idea that we're going up to live in some mansion with antique furniture <laughs> in heaven. But in actual fact, that word mansion means abode or home or dwelling place or room. And in those days, the concept of a room in the temple was that in the, the, the walls of the temple, there was chambers that were built for the priests. And as the priests were on duty, they would stay in those rooms and minister in the temple and do the work, and then they would go back to their room, and then they'll, when they were off duty, they'd go back to their homes. And, but there was many rooms. So here's Jesus saying to the disciples, in their context... The most ridiculous, craziest concept that they could ever have. That he was going to prepare a place for them to go and live in the temple because that's where Jesus is going to spend his time and it just does not make sense to them at all. Because they weren't priests. They weren't supposed to be in the temple. They could go to the outer court, they could do all those things, but they couldn't go into the holy place. And be a part of it. And so there's this concept 
of the, the message that Jesus is giving to them is something that they don't quite understand. That's why you get these strange questions. Like he says there, who's the father? Show us the father and we'll be happy. And Jesus says, well, I've been showing you the father. In fact, if you look at John chapter 17, in when it's the Lord's prayer, not our father who art in heaven, but the prayer that Jesus prayed, he says, Father, I have been manifesting your name to them. I have been revealing your glory of the Father to them. In, in other words, Jesus' mission wasn't just to die on the cross and to bring a salvation, but was to bring a manifestation of the presence of the Father into the midst of the people. The Father's presence was in Jesus as he was the manifestation on the earth. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again. Now everyone here has come again and they think of the second coming. They think of the da, 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 da. Gabriel blows his trumpet and Jesus comes back again. But that's not what he's referring to. He says, I'm going to come back to you after the resurrection. I'm going to come back to you by my spirit so that and bring you into this place that where I am, you may be also. Wow. We don't fully understand this until we get the New Testament revelation that you begin to see with Paul. Because Paul starts to say, know you not that you are the temple? That the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in you? And then we start to begin to realise what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm going to tear down this temple and I'm going to raise it up in three days and start to build what is called the Holy Temple or uh, Revelation calls it the New Jerusalem, the, the heavenly Jerusalem that's come down from heaven, dressed as adorned like a bride for a husband. The church, the bride, the temple where God dwells now on earth. And I've got good news for you this morning. God has such a desire for this place, Whitburn Pentecostal Church. You really need a new name. <laughs> Whitburn Pentecostal Church. Steve and Mary's House of Fun. No, no, that's not good. <laughs> Whitburn Pentecostal Church to be a father's house. To be a place where Father is exalted, where Father's presence. I love what you're talking about, the presence. That is a message to the church throughout Scotland, probably throughout the world, but particularly throughout Scotland, a time for the presence. I'm going to talk about that very quickly because you've already talked about it a lot, so I don't need to, but I need to mention it in a minute. But you see, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man gets to heaven but by me. Is that what he said? No, he said, no one comes to the Father. This whole passage is to do with Father's presence manifesting on earth. Don't you love the presence of God? We all love the presence of God. We think the presence of God is wonderful. And I think it's the most amazing thing that I can come into his presence through the death, burial and resurrection and the ascension, I can come into the presence of God with no condemnation of sin. That's fantastic. 
But you know what amazes me even more? Is that God wants to bring His presence to us. That God wants to presence Himself in Whitburn. Why Whitburn? I'll never know. <laughs> I heard that a mini tornado went through Whitburn the other day and did six million pounds worth of improvements. Ooh. I'm only joking, I'm only joking. <laughs> so anyway, he, but God wants to presence himself in Whitburn. He's got a building here, which he's, he doesn't dwell in buildings, but he gathers his people in buildings so that his presence may be here and the Father. You see, it's not just the presence of Jesus or the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's the presence of the Trinity. It's the, the manifestation of the Father that he wants to bring here. And I really want to uh, challenge you this morning to, to realize that heaven and Whitburn meet in a thing called the church. We'll break this down a little bit later on if we get time, but just for the sake of what I'm trying to teach this morning, to get the concept of what I'm trying to do, we're talking about the church gathering, the church being here. Heaven and earth want to meet here in this place Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, whatever nights, whatever days, whatever it is. So that this community can come to the Father and find the incredible love of the Father. So Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. To prepare a place. And he says, I will come again. Well, Jesus has come to us, hasn't he? And he's prepared a place called the church. I want to put a challenge out to you as a church this morning. And I've already heard the, the heart of your pastor and I hear what he's saying and I sort of was nearly going to say, look, I don't need to preach. He's already stolen my message. That's the problem when you use the same Bible. But anyway. <laughs> but basically, I want to put a challenge out to you. Don't let this church become a brother's church. Let it become a father's house. A brother's church is a club where we get together because we like one another and we agree with one another and we, uh, we all get on with one another and it becomes a club. You can have a great religious club but no presence. But I want to tell you, we can be as diverse as diverse as can, can be and come together with one heart and have the presence of God and become a father's house. A father's house. Just for a few minutes, could you imagine for a moment if the prodigal son, remember the story of the prodigal son? The younger son says to his father, Father, give me. Give me, give me, give me. My name's Jimmy. I want, give me my inheritance. Dead, drop dead. I want your inheritance. Now when Jesus told that parable, he would have told it in the streets and people would have been everywhere and the people would have been listening. And as soon as he said, the younger son said to his father, give me the inheritance, the whole of the congregation or the crowd would have went, boo, hiss, shame, shame on that boy. Shame, shame. They would have been, because they were very vocal, they, they didn't hold their emotions. Shame, shame on him. And then when the father gave it to him, they would have said, shame on the father. Shame on the father for letting him go. 
And as you know, the boy goes off saying, give me, give me, give me. And through the centre of circumstances and all the ways of sin that the boy enters into, and there would have been this incredible murmur in the crowd. And when the boy comes to himself and comes back and says, Father, make me. Goes away. Churches need to not be gimme, gimme, gimme churches, but we need to be in the presence of God saying, Father, make me. Make me the man. Make me the, the woman. Well, not me, but Kerry. <laughs> not in the transgender, Lord, but make me the man that you want me to be. Make me. Make me. A son of the Most High God. Make me a priest, a king, a priest in your presence. Make me fit into the place where you anointed me to belong. Oh, I tell you, you, there's some good news for you guys. This is your church. God's got something great for you. He's got an anointing so that you can belong to this house, so you can flow together, so you can be a part of it. You haven't got to be brothers where you all agree. You just need to be anointed to belong together to fulfill the purposes and the plans. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Could you imagine if the prodigal son had said, I'm going back to my brother's house? Could you imagine? When he said, I'll go back to my father's house, the father races out to him, throws a robe upon him, puts a ring upon his finger, puts shoes upon his feet, He anoints him, he does all the things. He clothes him so that he can belong to Father's house. Isn't that wonderful? Anybody that comes back to the Father, he automatically clothes them and makes them accepted. I would have said, go have a shower, get off that pink, piggy, stinky stuff, and and do you expect me to buy a house? Do you expect me to buy clothes for you? Yeah. The father just lavished love upon him. But imagine if he went back to his brother's house. The people listening when they heard that the father lavished all this stuff upon him. Shame, shame, shame on you, father. Because that son to you was dead. And you read the story. Jesus even says the father said he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Shame. I want to tell you something. This is exciting. The father took the shame of the son upon himself. I don't know what you've done, where you've been, what you've come from, where you're at. The father is willing to take the shame and take the blame and to love you back into wholeness. Isn't that wonderful? What would have happened if he went back to the brother's house? Here comes Jimmy back. And there's his brother, Hamish. <laughs> okay, what do you think you're doing back here, laddie? <laughs> you know. <laughs> he was Irish. But anyway. <laughs> if he was Australian, you would have had fair income, mate. What do you think you're doing? You're not going to pull the wool over my eyes, sport. You know. <laughs> the thing is that the brother 
would have judged him, would have condemned him, would have put him into the courtroom of trial and said, well, you stay here, I'll go and smooth it over with Father. You stay here and work hard and Father might let you back in. Rah, 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 rah. I tell you what, that's got to not be the heart. We've got to welcome with open arms and let the Father do the restoration. Most of you would know it. There's an Old Testament story that um, most of you would know it. It's one of the most horrific stories in the Old Testament. It's a story of a, a, a princess by the name of Tamar. She was the daughter of a king, daughter of King David. And through the long story, which I haven't got time to get into, basically her half-brother, Amon, brings her into his room, locks the door behind her and forces her and rapes her, literally rapes his half-sister. She says, don't do this. The shame of this I could not stand. But he does it anyway. And then, to top it all off, it says, the Bible says that he hated her with a greater hatred than what he loved. Well, he never loved her and then he lusted after her. And sends her out. And as she goes out, she goes out and she puts her hand on her head, she tears a, 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 a multicoloured uh, princess, daughter of the king's uh, clothing, and goes out. And as she goes out, her brother, her full brother, Absalom sees her and says, what's happened, my, daughter, my sister? What's happened? Has Amon done something to you? And she's there in total shame. And he says, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And the Bible says this, and Tamar remained desolate. What a word. Desolate in her brother's house. Desolate in her brother's house. King David should have taken the shame and restored her, but he didn't. She remained desolate in the brother's house. I want to tell you, God's intention is for you not to remain desolate. God's intention for you is not to just have lots of brothers and sisters, lots of teachers, lots of instructors, but God wants you to know him as Father because the Father is able to remove desolation, able to remove the, 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 the consequences of, of shame and bring us into a place of healing and restoration. It is my personal opinion that if you capture what I'm getting at today, ready, allow the presence of God that's been so aptly uh, taught already, allow the presence of God, saturate yourself in the presence of God. I tell you, he begins to put a robe upon you and rings upon your finger and begins to allow the Spirit of God to completely transform you and take away desolation. If the prodigal son had returned to his brother's house, he would have remained desolate for the rest of his life. But he didn't. He went to his father's house. Hallelujah. And I want to declare today in the spirit that this is a, this is a father's house. This is where people can meet father. This is where father will manifest himself. What is the father's house? It's where there's compassion and mercy, identity. There's training, there's release, there's authority, there's power, there's, there's, there's the, the presence of God. There's the authority of a king. Amen. That's the Father we're talking about, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. That authority 
is released when we acknowledge that this is a father's house. We ask God to build a father's house to allow his presence to be here in such a way that it just transforms our lives. I'm desperately running out of time. I would have had more time except somebody. So if I'm unable to get to the real anointed part of the message, you know why. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, show me a father's house. What does a father's house look like? And uh, there's many different things we could talk about there in comparison to different things. And, and, uh, but the Lord took me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. If you could just put that scripture up for us, Revelation 1. And I'll just read it from up there. It's probably the easiest way. Revelation 1, verse 9, I think it is. John's, John's writing and he says, I, John both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last and what you see write in a book and send to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardius, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one who, one like the Son of Man, clothed in a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band, and his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like a fine brass, and his and it refined as it as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went sharp two edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Okay. Let me just say this to you. Those seven churches were seven real churches. They existed. They were Pentecostal churches. They all spoke in tongues. They were listed. You see them all the way through the books of the, the New Testament. Those seven churches existed at the time when John saw the vision. When he saw the vision, I got, I, I got you to read that first part because John was there when Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also. I go to repair a place for you. And I will guarantee you that when John saw this vision, all of a sudden he saw Jesus standing in the midst of the seven churches 
and he all of a sudden realized that the place that God had prepared for him was there in the midst of the churches. You see, when you look at that picture, Jesus is in the holy place of the old tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon. And there he he looks and he sees Jesus dressed like a high priest, dressed like a high priest, and he's standing there with a candlestick and and he's trimming the wicks of the candlestick. He's putting fresh oil into the candlesticks. He's ministering as a priest would in the midst of the holy place. And of course, he's not talking about Moses' tabernacle. He's not talking about Solomon's temple. He's talking about the spiritual manifestation on earth of the holy place called the church. Amen? Amen? And if you stop and think about that, and we're going to take just a few minutes to do that, there's three aspects of the holy place that I believe should be resident within every church. As you come through those doors, there was three things that you would have seen if you came into the holy place. The first thing you would have seen is on one side there was the table of showbread. There was, in the tabernacle of Moses, there was uh, 12 loaves of bread on a table. In the temple of Solomon, there was 10 tables with 12 loaves of bread, 120 loaves of bread. And the whole place would have been filled with the smell of fresh bread. As they walked into that place, there was fresh bread. Bread speaks of the life of Christ. It speaks of the word that came down from heaven and became flesh of his presence. The bread of his presence or the bread of faith. It's when you came in there you should have sensed and known the presence of God. Wow. When you walk into a church, when you walk into this place, there should be a sense of we're coming into the presence of God. God has come into our presence. And there is something holy about this place. It's set apart for him to do what he wants, how he wants. We don't come in with a give me, give me attitude. We come in with a God, I've come into your presence, make me. Make me. Show me. Show me your presence. There's so many things we could teach on the presence of God. Moses said, unless your presence goes with us, don't send us up. He said, if yes, your presence goes with us, we're we're, we're no different than anybody else on the face of the earth. I tell you what, this has got to be different than a club. It's got to be different than an interest group. It's got to be different. The only thing that makes a difference is the presence of God. We had a friend, uh, a a lovely guy, he's going to be with the Lord right now, but he, in his 70th year or 76th year or something like that, had an encounter with God. Jesus appeared to him in his room one night and uh, he began to tell us about the encounter. He said, it seemed like hours and hours and hours, but it was only just a few seconds. And in that one encounter, his whole life was transformed and as he spoke about the presence of God, you could feel the presence of God fill the place. We were out in a in a, in a, having a big bonfire out in the back of a paddock in the back of uh, nowhere in, in Australia and he just began to share this and as he shared about this visitation from Jesus 
he began to weep. And as he wept, I'm telling you, in a, in a paddock with cow poo and sheep poo and, 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 and dead possums and dead kangaroos and whatever, bonfire, the presence of God came. And this is a men's meeting and all the men just went, whoa, who's here? <laughs> you could sense God, God's there. You know, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? If this is the holy place, then on that side, to remind us and constantly bring us to attention is the smell of fresh bread, the breath of his presence, reminding us that someone holy was there in the midst. Then on the other side, there was a candlestick, with seven candles, all with oil, and they would have wicks within it. And the job of the priest was to come in and to bring fresh bread, but also he would go over to the candlestick and there he would trim the wicks. And there he would make sure that there was fresh oil and there was fresh light. You see, when you came into the holy place, there was no natural light. It was all under skins. When you come into this place, you don't come in here to see natural light. You don't come in here to get natural knowledge. You don't come in here to get natural understanding. You come in here to see spiritual light and to have spiritual understanding and to get revelation. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says that although we looked at everybody after the flesh once, we'd look that way no longer. In other words, when we come to church, we don't look at each other in the flesh and realise how different we are. We actually look at each other in the spirit and realise how unique God has called us and has moulded us and given us new generation, regeneration, and we've been gifted and mantled by the Holy Spirit and we're anointed to belong. You can't see that out in the world, but you can see it in church. Amen? Hallelujah. And as we come together, it's not about... My needs, it's not about God, give me, give me, give me. It's about God, make me. And so as the Spirit of God is here, as Jesus is standing in the midst, his first primary job is to minister to the candlestick and to trim it. Man, Gabriel, bring me the chainsaw. <laughs> it's to come and take away the hurts and the bad experiences and the attitudes and the things that aren't there, to get new oil and pour fresh oil in. The reason we're at church isn't to have our needs met. The reason we're in church is for Jesus to do what he wants to do in us. Oh, I tell you, if that's what we did, if that's what the church in Scotland did, I tell you what, we would have our needs met. <laughs> because it's about ministering to him. What's that song say? It's all about me, Jesus, that you should do things my way. Isn't that right? No, that's not right, is it? It's all about you. The thing is that the oil brings a freshness. It's a new anointing, fresh anointing. It keeps us oil, it keeps us fresh. The, the wick, you see, if you have a a black wick or a burnt wick that puts up black smoke, doesn't it? We don't want flesh in here. We don't want attitudes and stinking attitudes. You know? Stinking thinking. Let's sink stinking thinking. It's a matter of 
that yieldedness. Now, are we all perfect? No, by no means. We come in and Jesus ministers, takes away, ministers to, administers. Revelation comes. We begin to see each other, not according to our differences, but according to what God binds us together. After the flesh, we know him most. Paul said, didn't he? He said, although we saw Jesus and knew him after the flesh, we know him that way no longer. And John, he knew Jesus. He, he slept on his breast, remember? Sitting at the table and John's lying all over Jesus. I wonder if Jesus ever said, John, can you please sit up? You know? <laughs> I like you too, John, but let's just get... I'm trying to eat my dinner, you know? That's knowing Jesus after the flesh. But then when he sees Jesus in this that we just read... It says he fell before him as a dead man. Don't you love it? Whenever we fear God, God says, fear not. And if we don't fear him, he says, fear me. <laughs> so I've learned something. As we fear God, he says, fear not. If we don't fear him, then start fearing him. <laughs> so there's this incredible sense of when we come into this place, there's the presence of God. There's the dealings of God. Read the next two chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, book of the Revelation, and you see Jesus trimming the candlestick. Oh, but I thought Jesus was very nice and very kind. I thought Jesus that said, you're wonderful and beautiful and marvellous and fantastic and Everything's forgiven. That's not what it says. You read that. He says, I have some things against you. You're doing this right, but you're doing that wrong. If you don't get that sorted out, I'm going to take the candlestick away. To him who overcomes will I make. But if you don't, you face the consequences. Oh no, that's not the Jesus I serve. Well, that's the Jesus in the Bible. And I've got this sense. You said about this decade... I've got this strong, strong sense in my spirit that there's going to be some wick trimming. There's going to be some candlestick removals. Jesus is going to come and start to say to his church, you're doing this right, but you're doing that wrong. Change. I'll give you the grace. Buy of me. I sell whatever you need. Buy of me faith. Buy of me whatever you want. I'll give it to you. But change has got to come. And if we don't change, so you can expect some changes in this church in the next few years, guys. You can expect apostolic prophetic ministries to come and to start to say, you're doing this right, but you need to get this sorted. We're not just going to have apostolic prophetic ministry, we're going to have apostolic and prophetic correction begin to happen. Because, why? Because Jesus is in the midst of his church ministry. When he said, I come to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you will be also, where's, where's Jesus? In the church. Where's Jesus? In Father's house. Where are we? In the church. In Father's house. And that means we have to receive the discipline of Father, the correction of Jesus, and the incredible grace. Amen? You with me? You're prepared for it? Because this is a decade where I think God's going to get his church. In fact, I think the next five years, if we respond, I think God will give us mercy 
that if we don't, I think we'll find that the UK will be under incredible judgment. That's just my personal opinion. But The last thing I wanted to say is this. I'm sorry. I, I would have been finished earlier except someone had <laughs> taken some time. As they went through those through things, what would happen is they would come to another thing called the altar of incense. It was a golden altar with a fire in it. And they would put incense and this cloud of incense would go up before God like, and it symbolised prayer and intercession and worship and so on. Now, in the days of Solomon's temple, in the days of Moses' tabernacle, there was a veil. There was a veil that separated them from the Holy of Holies. But when you read this, and we haven't got time to do it, but when you read it in chapter 8 of the book of Revelation, it talks about the altar of incense was before the throne. Hallelujah. When you're in Father's house, guess what? The veil has been removed. There is no veil. The glory of God is now filling the holy place. The glory of God can now fill the church. The glory of God, the access to the presence of God is that we can come boldly before the throne of His grace. Amen? Now when you read that, it says that they lifted up and they poured out all the prayers of the saints were going up before the throne like a cloud and an angel came with a, with a, with a, a golden censer which they would fill with incense and they would wave throughout the place to try and get the smell of it. And in that story it says that an angel came and took some coals from the fire and put it into the censer, mixed it with the prayers of the saints and then threw it down upon the earth and then the, the, in that case the, the trumpet judgments begin. But I want to say to you that if you can comprehend what I'm saying to you today, that this is a new day. This is a day when we can come in and find the presence of God, the, the dealings of Jesus in the ministering to the candlestick. But now we have access to the very throne of God that God will mix fire with our prayers and they won't just be prayers, but they will be fiery prayers. Prayers with holy fire. Don't you want to have some holy fire prayer? Don't you want some prayer that's got something to do with the fire of the Holy Ghost? Do you want to come before the Lord in such a way that you're crying out, God, I do not know the what to pray. And the Holy Spirit begins to anoint you to pray. And you begin to pray in such a way that the angels take the prayers that you've prayed and start to move in the community, in the towns, and the nation. I tell you what, churches all across Scotland, if they can come before the altar of incense, come before the throne of God and get some fire in their prayers. Oh, I tell you, God will start to change and shape a nation. To change circumstances. You read it. You read the story there. Of course, it's speaking of a particular event, but the principle of it is that we have access before the throne of God. Hallelujah. Let me finish with this. It's going to take one of Stevie's five minutes. I'll try and let you out by dinner time. We can see that in the corporate sense, and it's easy to do that. And when I first got saved, 
that, that's how I would envision coming into the presence of God, Father's house, all that sort of stuff. But then I realised that wherever two or three are gathered together, where is he? He's in the midst. So I'm going to wait till you get to church to have the presence, the candlestick and the altar of incense. Wherever two or three of you are gathered together. Isn't that amazing? That's powerful, isn't it? Husband and wife can have the father's house in their living room. He can have the father's house. And where his presence is, is where you live. God's presence in this community is scattered throughout wherever you live. Let me tell you, another one I found out is that you haven't got to wait for two or three. The Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. That Christ lives within us. And I was at home the other day and uh, Kerry was at work and I was just seeking God and praying and I literally just felt like the altar of incense, the, the table of showbread, the candlestick was there in the house with me just by myself and begin to realize that this isn't a matter of corporate this isn't just a matter of two or three this is a personal thing and i know there'd be someone sitting there saying oh yes now i understand why i don't like this church there's not enough of the presence of god them musicians. It's their fault. It's Stevie's fault. He doesn't let the speakers get up to speak. He talks to them before them. I know. That's not me, it's him. No, 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 no. What I've said has got nothing to do with the organisation or whatever. It's up to each individual to come in and find the presence of God. Each individual has the responsibility to sense showbread, to allow Jesus to trim the wick, to come before that altar and pray. Hallelujah. It's up to you. This message isn't for the church only, it's for you as individuals. So that as you come together, the manifestation is even greater. So Father God, we stand in the table of showbread, we stand in the midst of the light of the candlestick. We stand, oh God, in the altar of incense. And as we lift up prayers, we pray, oh God, that, Lord, don't give me, but make me. Lord, for this community, let the fire of the Holy Ghost begin to stir our hearts in prayer, that we don't pray prayers, but we actually pray. Lord, it's so easy to pray prayers, but Lord God, make us the prayer. Let our hearts be burned before you for the Whitburn and the Lothian and all that area, oh God, for this nation, oh God, for the churches throughout this nation. Lord, I pray that this will become known, Lord, as a Father's house, that the Father is here, that people will come in here and not just hear good messages, not just hear good music, but they will actually be encountering the presence of Father and be 
transformed. Let the destitute, let the desolate have their shame removed and let there come restoration and healing. Let there be a place of healing in this house in Jesus' name. Amen.